It's the setup. Look at that dramatic <laughs> opening theme. <laughs> setup. I'm we John Ricardo. <laughs> I'm Chris Grace. It's Wednesday, February 20th, 2019. Yeah, that was definitely not a video played off of my phone, which we do not have the license to use. Yeah, that's why we only played the four seconds of it. Yes. Um, so uh, we just showed each other a couple things. A couple, uh, uh, and very, very, some very math-heavy tricks. Well, the reason I didn't record them this time was because I, I had a feeling like it was going to be so tedious that it wouldn't be... Right, we both like, just did a lot of counting. Even with, um, like, audio only would have been very tedious. But even oh. with you sitting here watching me do it, it was like... That is boring. It was only slightly <laughs> less tedious on both ends, really. Um, and uh, and then the other thing I showed you was something that I was like, I wanted to explain the method to you. So right, right, it. right. But uh, I did save something for the podcast, which is I wanted to play you this video that I put on TikTok. Okay. My new social media venture. You know, TikTok is pretty fun. I, I was very first an old man about it. Like, yeah. what is this? Were you looking it's at it? It's just videos. Yeah. Uh, I haven't downloaded it, but I um, when I when you posted that video of of the one you did on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, that took me to a bunch of others that I, was, I watched for like it's 25 fun. minutes. That it's is just, fun. It's that's, just dancing. That's just dancing. Um, yeah, I now have 7,700 fans. Good God. <laughs> so um, this is something I got on Vanishing and I put made a little video of. Cool. I just wanted to show you. I really hope you show me balance. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. I really hope it's balance. I did balance on TikTok. Is that cool? Um, hold on a second. Let me just turn my volume. Um, for people listening, go to my TikTok, Chris Grace Comedy, and watch the one of the more recent ones. So I- at duty free on gummy bears, uh, which is not good for me. I'd like to return it, but you can't because uh, you're not in the airport. But then what I realized is I can just take the receipt and turn it back in, and I still got the gummy. So That's it. That's pretty cool. So basically, I had wait, a hold receipt. on. I thought the whole conceit of TikTok was that like this audio over the video you're doing. Uh, no, people, some people do like uh, original stuff. Okay. Some people do original content, like buying a magic trick and just doing it. On <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, okay, I that did just turn up on my head what the concept of TikTok is, and now I'm confused again, and now I'm a cranky old man about it. Oh, it's just whatever. Like there, but there are people that like the Vine used to be like people would do their own sort of right. content as well. So it's sort of in between that and the lip syncing. Okay, how what's the time limit on you have on TikTok? Uh, Fifteen or sixty seconds. Got it. Um, TikTok originally was an app called Musically, and that one was everybody was lip syncing only. Okay. Uh, but then once it became TikTok, people's, there's really more dancing than lip syncing these days. Right. In fact, the lip syncing videos, I kind of skip. Uh, that was a cool trick, though. Uh, sorry, I'm just setting levels. Setting levels. Are we still on? Have you cut Yes, the... we're still okay. on. Okay. Uh, um, yeah, that was a good trick. That was fun. What is um, that? Uh, that is called Buyer's Remorse. Okay. Uh, from uh, Vanishing was having a little bit of a sale. Cool. Uh, and that's by George Iglesias. Oh, yeah. George. Do you know him? I do. I have a trick of his in my car right now. Oh. Yeah, it's the one where he makes popcorn appear. You recently asked for another addition to the uh, Handsome Magicians. Oh. And Georgia Glacius is very much right, yeah. in that department. So, Those um, leather jackets? Yeah. that's not. I don't love that part. <laughs> okay. You're not into leather jackets? <laughs> um, so, but I, the reason I bring it up is it's kind of funny to do um, a trick on social media like this because... I've already deleted like four comments that are just like the method people trying to figure. Actually, no one has correctly figured it out, but it is kind of a buzzkill for people to just post like what they think it was. I know. Um, so I've deleted those. I think it just helps to become when you put something online, just be at peace with the fact that people will just comment the method and oftentimes be dead on. Correct. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, I mean, people are generally correct because 
I, I would say if you showed a million money changing things to a million people, pretty much everybody gets the general idea, which is like, I mean, no one's going to say like, you magically changed that into <laughs> a hundred dollar bill. You might find one. <laughs> I once, you know, I took a speech class in high school, uh, in, in college, in community college, and we had to give an informed speech that had to follow very specific patterns and they have to like do this thing, int- introduction, conclusion, had to be like seven minutes. So I decided to make mine um, the like the format of a magic trick. Yeah. And so I would instruct them on sort of the, I, I basically made a magic trick, very simple effect where I would uh, make, I had a silk that I turned into like a rubber ball and then I vanished the ball. Uh-huh. It was very simple. And it used a couple different me- methods. And the idea was there's like a, a one that the trick required, like a practical one and then a psychological one and then a, something about time. I, I can't remember. It was a while ago. I did win a contest with it though. Hey. I won like 500 bucks. It was pretty cool. Anyway, so I, uh, uh, I got through the, trick uh, something about the speech and my professor definitely pointed out you know I, I, there's a joke in an earlier draft about how all magic is fake or something along uh-huh. those lines and she was like well if someone does think that some of this magic is real you probably shouldn't probably shouldn't say that and right I, was like, I don't what i don't think that's <laughs> i don't think that that is entirely if someone was like he actually transmogrified that silk into a rubber ball but on the off chance that that somebody thought magic was indeed real yeah i was advised to take a line out of the the speech and i and she was she was gonna be the one grading me come two weeks later when i had to do it in class i'm like all right what you say goes but it's interesting i i wonder that was one of the only times i've run into that in you know i feel like i'd be very surprised if any adults that were like at the magic castle like genuinely thought that the stuff they were seeing is happening i feel like that's part of I, I think that's almost part of the um, the thing I was talking about with Steve Valentine where like feeling like I got swindled. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think I may have talked about it. With you did. Oh, sorry. You did. That's a different podcast. How fucking dare you? <laughs> um, but I did hear, I did like, I did hear that. I did listen to that episode. The, the feeling of very like, angrily. Yeah. I was incredibly drunk and I, and I, I powered through it in a very angry way. I think some part of you wants to know that there's artifice behind it because it lets you enjoy the thing. Mm -hmm. You know, you can go see a horror movie and not, you know, the fact that it's not happening to you is helpful. Speaking of, uh, so I... uh, (laughs) Speaking of, I murdered a few people. um, I basically did emotionally on accident. I went to, the other day, um, the landmark Newark in Santa Monica. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where they're playing all these short films nominated for Oscars. Oh, yes, Uh uh-huh. And so me and a friend have this tradition where every year we try to go see the short films because uh, during that two-week stretch, she goes to UCLA and it's like 10 minutes away. So that night I invited another friend who didn't – I just, hey, we're going to go see the short uh, Oscar-nominated films. And she brought her boyfriend. She's like, yeah, totally. So the four of us went and saw. And it was – I didn't realize this until afterwards when I looked at the reviews. It was actually uh, five of the – darkest most depressing and painful movies i've ever seen in my entire life oh just because um like sort of randomly that's what got nominated this yes year? Ah. and like last year none of them were as dark as like the least dark one in this list and there was also one really funny comic relief one uh-huh. so there were some heavy moments but the heavy ones were still really palatable i think this was they were all incredibly dark three out of five involved extreme distress brought to children like uh, like kidnappings and and stuff and murder and death like it was just and then the the least sad one was about this old lady who's kind of alone and sad and so like that was that one was kind of nice but 
my friend who had absolutely no appetite for this kind of thing, she was very upset afterwards. She was um, like, never bring me to that again. She was, it was good to see you and well, spend time with you. Well, cut to next year when they're all just super happy. Right. And so then, uh, then when she's, cause what they do is they have five screenings a day and the, uh, the second and fourth one are the animated shorts uh-huh. and the first, third and fifth one are the live action shorts. She's like, they have the animated ones too. I'm like, yeah. She goes, are those better? I went, Oh, assuredly. And she's like, why didn't we come to that? <laughs> I will say like Bow is nominated for an Oscar. Like this, uh, that's kind of, that's the kind of stuff that, that's in the animated ones. That but but short animated uh, nominations are often very melancholy and sad. Some, and I believe there is one. Bow is very sad. Yeah, it is, but it's not. I mean, they could soul just, crushing. They could have just released the first ten minutes of Up, <laughs> right? As a short, <laughs> they really could have. <laughs> but like things like that are still, you know, digestible to um, it. Yeah, and they tend to be sad in a melancholy way, but still wrapped up in a animation kind of bow right so anyway so there was a time where it was the the relief of this isn't really happening did not seem to help that's that's all that's (laughs) all that segue was just this is something that happened to me this week i felt very Um, bad about it i've apologized to my friend like three times so um anyway posting this this uh this buyer's more thing on the social media thing the other thing i um what reason i wanted to show you was uh, is that I might have thrown that away accidentally. Right. Uh, so, so in funny. case you don't know this trick, it's turning a receipt into a, a $100 bill. Um, I will say, a little bit of quality control. Um, you're supposed to turn it into like four $100 mm-hmm. bills. And the other three... It's raining? It's still raining here in LA. Wow. Um, the other three bills, they look great. They actually look very realistic as $100 bills, but they are too long. So in case you... I'm sure you have an inkling of how these tricks work. Something has to be kind of hidden for a little while, and they're too big, so they like like they gave you hundred dollar bills to use. They yeah, they gave you they give you some flat ones and some folded ones, and the folded ones are folded in such a way that they stick out from behind the thing. That's funny, and it's just like cool. I can't use these. <laughs> um, uh, but bringing back Wish. Uh-huh. Uh, Wish. Oh, can, I ordered some stuff on Wish. Cool. Uh, you can get like they do have. Fake hundreds. Uh, yes. for, you can buy like a stack of 30 of them for like 10 cents or something, or like $2. Yeah, I actually would love to think of a trick to use with... Have you ever seen the Chinese hell money? No. So my family culture didn't ever interact with this kind of stuff. But there's a thing in China where um, you like bring things to your family members' graves. And your family members need like money in heaven and hell. So you go and buy money. It's called hell money? It has the word hell on it. It's like... A million dollars, hell, and it's like a monopoly money, but with like an old Chinese lord and like hell money. And that's like supposed that. to fool the demons of hell. Well, then you go. No, you go to the grave and you burn it, and it oh, gets, okay. it goes to them in in hell or heaven, and then they can spend it on whatever they want. I buy feel them. like a demon of hell would be like, this is clearly a piece of monopoly money. Yeah. Well, they also have like, and I'm sure they have now. I haven't looked since these things came out, but they also have like cell phones. And they hell, have, hell phones. You can buy yes, uh, you can buy like iPads and stuff that you go and then burn at the grave and it gets sent to them because they need their iPads. And wow. I think it would be fun to do a trick around this idea. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Um, can I do my thing? Yes. Let's Great. see. So, so John, John, let's hear the I'm, story. Behind I'm this. I'm about to ambush Chris with something. Um. So Chris. Last week we were talking about uh, the Sam the Bellhop routines that you do not like. 
Yes, these are the long stories. The long stories over an entire deck of cards. Yeah. A friend of mine and friend of the podcast lives in Georgia, Zach Ivins, uh-huh. hopefully he hears this, texts me a couple days ago has he ever, uh, and says, has Chris ever heard of Improv the Bellhop? And I went, no, <laughs> oh, I, I don't know that he has. What is that? And he goes, it's where you shuffle a deck and then you just do an entire Sand the Bellhop story with it. <laughs> so I've shuffled a deck earlier today. Okay. Chris has not seen the order. I have written down the order of the 52 cards, which I'll post up on Instagram so you can see what Chris is working with. Oh, okay. Okay. And I'm going to just make you right here and right oh, now. Oh, so I don't have to shuffle these. You don't have to shuffle these. They're they're in. Uh, I shuffled them. They were in new deck order, and I just shuffled them for about ten minutes straight. And yeah. then I wrote down what the order is, so that on Instagram later, if people want to see, they can <clears throat> they can uh, take a look at the order. And I'll, I'll need the chance that like you don't mention the suit of every single card, oh, no. the value or something. Yeah, which they never do. They never. They don't always. Not no. Not all. They pick and choose sometimes. Yes. Yeah. So. Later, you'll be able to check out on Instagram what the order of these cards was. Um, assuming this goes well and is interesting. If not, we'll, we might Oh, cut probably it. not. <laughs> okay. I, I realized uh, that, that the routine I wanted to do, I talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Um, did I? I don't know if I mentioned, but I do want like the rules card to be in there. And like I want random filler cards right. to be in there. <laughs> so it's like, you know, then I went to... Then he gave me his phone number and it was... Three, two, four, Joker. seven, six, rules. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so... Um, the, a lot of weird things have happened to me lately. So, like, I oh. was I went to Magic Apple last week. Oh, at, yeah, yeah. I stopped by there again today. And when I, the guy at the Magic Apple was like, "Here's a special deck of cards that's going to like reveal your future." And what really? was weird was, wow, the things that are in this deck are things that actually happened to me. Interesting. So, yeah. So first of all, I had to pay for the deck, and the deck cost. Uh, <laughs> it didn't cost jack. <laughs> okay. Like, actually, I was like, "Let me pay for this," and the guy was like, um, five probably isn't enough." Um, three is even less. <laughs> um, so he actually ended up giving to me for free. And I was like, that's really appreciative. And his name was uh, Mr. Four. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got into my car and uh, I was going to go to lunch and I needed to do, do GPS to figure out where I was going. I checked my battery on my phone and my phone had 82% battery left, which is pretty great. Pretty so good. I was like, I'm going to make it there. Um, I got on the, what was it? The five freeway. And I went to exit number 79, which, as you know, is uh, it's a street called Mariposa, which is Spanish for butterfly. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but in the world right now, a lot of butterflies are going extinct. There's actually only uh, five uh, Q2s. Uh, that's like a Library of Congress uh, category for okay. the kind of butterflies <laughs> that are going extinct, which is very sad. Um, so anyway, not to get off the track. So I was going to go to uh, Chipotle. <laughs> Chipotle, as you know, as everyone knows, has all their meals just numbered. You don't do any selection of your own. You just order off by yeah, number. Yeah, you order numbers. Sure. Everyone, you go to Chipotle, I'll have a number six, number seven. I order my favorite, which is the number five. Yeah. Number five is a, a burrito um, with uh, only white rice in it. It's my favorite. <laughs> uh, and it, I did I did splurge a little bit. I was like, let me have some olives. Everyone knows how great the olives at Chipotle are. They're fantastic. And she was like, sir, it actually... It's extra. How many do you want? And I was like, I actually want 564 olives <laughs> in this burrito. Um, and weirdly, she did it. Oh, by the way, that Chipotle is at uh, 77 uh, King Street. Um, I don't know if you... It's just like in Burbank somewhere. Okay. So because of the olives, it was very expensive. It actually caught me $10. And I was like, ace. I got that right in my pocket. So I pulled out a solid 10, which is very expensive for Chipotle. And then... Uh, I was like, uh, when I'm 64, I hope that I can still spend $10 on a Chipotle burrito. But I probably won't. Because of inflation, it'll probably cost $68. 
you know, that's the way it works. Um, so I had this burrito. I sat down and this, um, you would not believe the celebrity that walked in. Um, first of all, this celebrity on the list, people's top 100, she was the king because <laughs> it was a trans, <laughs> it's a trans list. Uh, okay. <laughs> top sexiest trans celebrities in the world. Um, so it was Laverne Cox from Orange is the New Black. Oh. And she is the king slash queen slash Jack of the list. <laughs> Uh, but actually, and it was weird because the year before she actually rated number uh, nine, um, and uh, and I masturbated to her very constantly. Okay, yeah. what? Well, I jacked. Is what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I, in fact, if I ever see Laverne Cox, I'm going to give her a gift. That's what. No, you're good. You're good. Oh, if I ever uh, see her, I'm going to give her a gift, and that's going to be a club. Um, in fact, I'm going to give her 10 clubs. Uh, I'm going to start um, a 10 nightclub chain, and only 10, mm-hmm. and donate the whole thing to Laverne Cox to show my love for her. Um, actually, I was born in 73, by the way, so we're, I'm much older than she is. Okay. Um, so I think that's why we're a good match. Anyway, Got it. I finished my Chipotle dinner, and a bunch of bums started run, rushing up on me to get my leftovers when I get out. In fact, it was... Um, uh, well... Think of the when you go bowling and you get a seven ten split. Right. They kind of configured in that way. Okay. Um, but I would say there was probably, uh, well, near the Ace Hardware, there was three bums. And then next to the um, uh, four, <laughs> oh, that club uh, called Four. Yeah. Uh, there, were, uh, there were king clubs. <laughs> uh, no, there was king. Uh, the king of the bums rushed up on me. Yeah. Um, so I, had to, I didn't have any leftovers. I ate all the burrito so i gave him some money i gave him um a uh crown a british crown that was in my pocket lucky that you had that yeah and then i gave him uh nine dollars and then there were another one i gave two pence i just came back from england right um yeah england is actually an interesting country um it was actually formed in the year um 1260 uh 1260 uh that's by queen's time got it yeah the queen had her own calendar um, so 1260 England's been very old and actually was dissolved in the year uh, one Q and that's actually how you first quarter of the year uh, 10 fuck <laughs> these queens Jesus Christ in the year in the year uh, in the year 109 Queen's time the first quarter England was dissolved so anyway the bums rushed me I gave them some money uh, and then I um, uh in case you didn't know, near that Chipotle and near Magic Apple, there's a cryotherapy place. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, and I walked right in. I said, give me the usual. Bring the air down to three degrees Celsius, which is very cold. Um, and uh, that basically gets rid of your aches and pains and stuff. And then when you're full from the burrito, uh, any like uh, digestive issues kind of get resolved. Um, and I stayed in there for eight minutes, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty long for that, like, uh, you know, that time, uh, that temperature and then i paid her eight dollars which is great you pay one dollar per minute um and finally i left there and you know how good i felt on a scale of one to 100 i felt (laughs) like my heart was full of love (laughs) (laughs) oh my god that was great oh let's delete this whole thing (laughs) (laughs) that was so good Every single time you wanted to commit to a number, <laughs> I know. it was a picture card. I know. I was that like, was fantastic. Well, that's what uh, we're going to do. And then I had an idea. I thought this would be fun. If you're out there listening and you want to get it on the fun, um, take a video of yourself 
doing improv. Yeah, bellhop. doing improv um, the bellhop. Uh, so send us a video. Make sure you. Uh, my, our one requirement is shuffle the co- shuffle the cards on camera so that yeah. they're, they're not in some weird predetermined perfect stack. Or just do them in new deck order. <laughs> or do it in new deck order. Um, well, it, uh, what was annoying was like for my own fun. I'm like, I'll just take a shot and make sure that this is like. I was basically like mad living myself because I could. You could be more vague, in a way. Like you could turn them over, and construct the story based on the cards you see first as right opposed but you to are like, kind of committing to certain <laughs> things like saying like scope was- scopes of numbers that had like if you say a year you're hoping that four numbers come up what's what's <laughs> what's interesting about that is because yeah you you were oftentimes you never banked on the idea of a picture card no you, I mean, <laughs> but what's funny is that I, i'm realizing this now do you ever have you ever played blackjack or yeah. Uh, do you kind of know the strategy behind blackjack? Yeah, yeah counting. That's, that's kind of the only game I I will play in a casino because that's the only game I sort of understand. Right. And the very very basic rule set or idea behind blackjack is that in a deck of cards, the the biggest quantity of numbers in a deck of cards is ten uh, mm-hmm. because you have the so you have twelve tens as far you have uh, there'd be sixteen tens across the deck because you right. have um, the jack queen king and uh, ten of every single. Um, suit yeah um so the idea is that you're basically always supposed to bet on the idea the next card up will be a 10 right and that is sort of the basic strategy so you're always kind of if the dealer has a face down card you're basically always supposed to play your hand against oh what what assuming that that is a that face down card is a 10 plus whatever the face up card is and also if you're doing counts i believe that it's uh i think it's better when there's more tens left in the deck um, that I that I don't so know. The card counting you kind of keep track of. Every time you see a lower high card, you adjust this count, and it becomes more favorable to you. <laughs> Except I can't remember which way is more favorable, so I probably shouldn't bet money on this, right? Because <laughs> I would go in and be like, "This seems great," and so it's like, "No." But that would be something interesting to think about. Is that I guess with a routine like this, you are or a game like this, you're kind of supposed to bank on the fact that. Yeah, it was hard because I never, th- I would just never feel like. Uh, actually, it would have been. I should have put myself in that corner too. Uh, to bet on a picture card and then have to deal with a number coming up in place. I was giggling a lot. So like I said, I've written down the order of all these cards I was kind of following along with. Yeah. And so I would definitely see... There were sometimes th- interesting things would happen where there'd be like two kings next to each other. Yeah. And I could see instead of you doing two kings, you had done one king and then immediately committed to a number as I'm watching another <laughs> king about to come out. That was fantastic. So well, send us yeah send us your improv of the bellhop routine and then I don't know we'll pick the best one and I mean, give you I've a prize. Only been doing improv for like twenty years, so um, that's a sad statement on where your skill level can get to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is something interesting. You've we've talked about this many times in my sort of existential crisis of like anyone can do magic if they buy a self working trick. Yeah, and then what you had said to me. Do you remember? Do you remember? Uh, kind of give it some context. I, I, can I think s- I said, like, I need to get out of the car now. Right. No, You had s- said that you had thought the opposite because you had, you had thought that an average person can see an improv show and kind of sometimes rightfully think, oh, I could maybe do something like that. Whereas you watching a magic show would go, oh, there's no way I could learn to do that. And so I we kind of. Well, f- do people definitely think they can do improv after seeing improv shows, for sure. Do you think that is often a correct assumption? Um, I think they could study improv, and I think w- one thing that is different is that a person in, in their very first improv class ever is totally capable of doing a scene, uh, or rather having a moment that is as funny as a professional comedian could do. Uh, what they probably won't be able to do is to string together 
three of those right. or to construct a scene that kind of makes sense and is something that can build over a 30 minute or one hour show. Mm-hmm. But it's like they could go into batting practice and hit a home run. Um, they might not know how they did it, you know, and well, how do we create that? Yeah. Later I don't on. know if a person walking into a magic class could create a moment as good as a professional. It's a very interesting point. Probably not. Probably not. Uh, I wanted to bring this up with you. Yeah. Uh, Shin Lim won America's Got Talent uh, champion. Yes, you did. We so can, are we, we going to get into that? Well, I just, I'm just curious. I, he basically won America's Got Talent twice in a row. I believe and I did. Because uh, when I've heard he won and like there's some, you know, news article that I clicked on, I th- it did say that he's the first ever person to win back to back AGT franchises. Yeah. Interesting. Um, And I watched. Or, the, like, or Got Talent franchises or something along those um, lines. I watched the routine that he won with. Okay. Um, I don't get. I I don't think I've seen any of the routines from this show. I kind of didn't know what the show was, and I keep forgetting I didn't about really it. Really, either. So um, I honestly, I spent 15 minutes the other day googling like what does he get now, but and I couldn't find it. I get another truck. I mean, basically, he already isn't he going to do a, a Vegas show? Already? A lifelong friendship with Terry Crews. Yeah. Um. Uh, I don't really. So I, I'm in a couple Magic Facebook groups, and what I I jumped into a conversation late. And this was already a response to the beginning of the conversation, which was like, guys, calm down, everybody. Shin Lim is a magician just because you guys don't think or whatever. And I was kind of like, if you happen to see what he won with in the finals, there's no question. It It's very much a it's not that different than what you would see anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think some of the shit Shin Lim gets is unwarranted. Yeah. I think it's just sort of a new direction, a very, you know, that I think a lot of people reject. Um, well, but I'm saying this, the one he won with is not that new direction. That like interesting. the thing about, um, I want to pull it up. Did he win FISM? He won. Uh, yeah, he won, um, his category in FISM. He didn't uh, win the Grand Prix. He won first place. He tied for first in card magic in 2015. He tied yeah. with Horat Wu. Uh, interesting controversy, not uh, controversy, but, um, Woody Aragon actually scored highest that year in that category, but went like five <laughs> seconds over time and was disqualified. And there's a controversy behind that, which I would love to dish on. Cause oh, it's such a Woody. Fun, oh, Woody. That act is great though. It's, it's very good. I saw it again at FISM and it was awesome. Um, the, go back to Shin Lim. the act that Shin Lim did on like Penn and Teller, um, that's like the red and black stuff and the smoke coming out of his mouth and he doesn't speak at all that well he's well i mean he's done two on pen and teller and they're uh, they both have a lot of that oh, uh so that's so he has there's one routine where he's wearing this red vest and yeah. someone signs a card and it's like kind of appearing in all these different places right that is uh his FISM act or and then he, i believe he did that on the semi-finals of america's got talent and he uh that was the first thing he did on pen and teller maybe the second thing at any rate variations of that are have shown up on TV a couple times. So that seems so um, like a decent example of like competition magic. I, I've always, yes. And I've always considered, I don't think this is a perfect one-to-one analogy. I've always considered competition magic is kind of like the Pixar shorts of magic. Uh-huh. Yeah. In that they're very short. They're very stylized. They're very different. Not necessarily completely representative of the entire genre of movies, i.e., you know, magic. Yeah. But they're, uh, yeah, so I think that is kind of the, they the have, analogy I've made. I don't think it's exactly one-to-one, but that's kind of how I describe them to people. So, And then when he went on America's Got Talent, I think he still had a lot of those elements and then was starting to add elements of like talking and right. audience management and like more conventional, I would say, mm-hmm. like card magic. And so I would say maybe some people don't love some of the competition magic elements of it, especially if they're involving elements that maybe look better on television than they do in real life. Okay. 
But the act that he just won with is like, I don't see how any old school dude could be like, I don't like this. This isn't magic. Cause like, it's, it's very, um, like it's very well done, but it's, it's not the other stuff. I don't think uh, the only, my only, I have two only quibbles with his winning act. One is that the editing of it doesn't show you like pretty significant. Trying to pull it up, but I don't think I can find it. Um, the camera's just not on him during kind of pretty significant moves that he's making. Mm-hmm. And then I, were those live? The, no, I don't know. Is that um, a live show? I just would kind of like to see when you do a move. Um, I don't know why. I like. I, I guess it doesn't really matter to a layperson. But basically, if, if I'm not seeing the person's hands when something happens, I'm like, I think this happened, but I don't really know because the camera's on the, the audience right. member. Sometimes they do completely, which uh, to the performer's benefit, they just cut out. If you flash something, they'll just get yeah. pan to Howie going, wow. They do a lot of that. And right. Simon just like looking around. And my second quibble with it is almost everybody I've seen be an audience member. In this case, somebody named like, I want to say Melissa Fumero, somebody I've never heard of. Melissa Fumero is on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Hey, there you go. Um, they're often, and I would include Allison Hannigan from uh, Penn and Teller. They're very awkward as participants, and especially when, I don't. If someone hands you a deck of cards to shuffle and you don't know how to shuffle, great. You know, it doesn't have to be a whole play, whole meal about like how you don't know how to shuffle. Right. It just uh, that, and I will say that I. I like Shin Lim a lot, actually. I would say his his rapport with a, other human beings isn't doesn't feel totally natural yet. Okay, <laughs> uh, but otherwise, I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't watch any of the other acts. I just right. haven't watched it, so I I have no idea if he should have won or should not have won or whatever. Yeah, I have no. I, I still don't entirely know what this iteration of the show was. Uh, it was like all the people that have won in different countries. And I don't even know what... Uh, no, actually, it was a lot of like second and third place winners as well. Oh, okay. Um, and I don't even know... Am if, I wrong, though, that it did have performers who won or did well yeah. in other countries? Is yeah, that- so like the first couple of weeks, uh, we actually did watch, and it was almost all second and third place winners. And I was like, this isn't really champions. And then there were some like um, first place winners from other countries. Also, what was the mentalist duo that I told you about? The clairvoyance? Uh, yes, Tommy they, and Emily. They were on there. Yeah, they got second place a couple of years ago. They had a pretty cool trip, they're, but they're they did great. not advance from mm-hmm. where. Um, and there is one very cool, interesting effect on Chin Lim's performance that um, I'm, I have questions about how they did it. But, but uh, none of my questions about how he did it have anything to do with TV technology um, or camera work or anything like that. Okay. I just always have questions about pre-show. Right. Um, I, I still just, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, you hate show. I just hate that it's like we're doing something. If I'm a person walking off the street coming to see your show and the bounds of my knowledge are when I sit down and when I get up, I should, I guess, I mean, I feel like I should be able to figure out or I should have a shot at like understanding your show based on that. But then again, maybe who gives a shit? <laughs> um, I'm closer to who gives a shit. Yeah. Um, I tend to think that as long as you're being ethical and moral, th- like any tool should be in your toolbox. Yeah. That, uh, what's you know, it's funny. Basically, the sentence as you said it exactly. That is the one rule on Penn and Teller fool us is you're not allowed to do any pre-show work ah. because if you are trying to fool them, they need a fair oh, shot them, to be able to. Sure. Yeah, yeah. To, they and, need a fair shot at it. So that is the one thing they will not let you do. And they definitely have a construction where they are trying to figure it out. Yes, um, because it technically is a contest show. Yeah. Um. 
So I know that is a, a – uh, uh, I've gotten him to agree to come on. We just need to schedule it when he's in town. Harrison Greenbaum. <laughs> I thought you say uh, Teller. <laughs> uh, teller. Um, it'll be a very quiet episode. Zing, Teller joke. There's teller my teller does joke. interviews, though. Yeah, no, that was, like, a, uh, that was a really shitty joke. Oh, that, was a bad, that was a poorly constructed joke. Let's just move on from it. I will say if you're interested on YouTube, you can find a, a very long Google Talk that he did. Is that the one with the Miser's Dream? Uh, maybe. Okay. It's, just, it's just like uh, he's not that secretive about it. Um, so – the only thing I would say is if in the realm of like who gives a shit, you know, it's just for the enjoyment of the audience down that path. Essentially, you can get to stooges and stuff. Right. And so if it's just like if all that matters is the entertainment of the people that aren't in on it, then you could just put on a play. Kind sure. Of. And then it's but at some point you run into the realm of is this fooling people because then people are going to go down that track in their mind and go, well, they must have been in on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So the and people and people are like that. Anyway. Right. So one of the conceits of pre-show work is you kind of do it in this sort of dual reality way right. that allows you to ask, get real answers from that person. Like, did I tell you what to think of? Did I tell you to say this? Did I tell you this? And I'll go, no, no, no. And then there's some other methods employed so that you can get very honest answers out of that person. Um, a long time ago in New York, I saw a mentalist show, and I remember this guy pulled out insane details about like a woman's childhood memory. Mm-hmm. And then I remember the woman walking out being like, oh, yeah, I told them all that. But now, thinking back on it, I'm like, I bet they just did some genuine pre-show work with them, and that she interpreted it as she like she didn't present it in the fair way. She was just like, yeah, they asked me, I told them all those details, which I doubt that they did because they're right. both like the two guys were like relatively ethical magicians. Mm-hmm. So, but I wonder if it just in her mind it just got turned into like, oh yeah, I just they just asked me and I told them I skinned my knee when I was riding a bike when I was seven or whatever. Well, there's I, there are cases of pre-show work I've seen where people will like fill out a clipboard and uh-huh. put in for information like this is just kind of uh, we're not going to read it and then using like an impression clipboard yeah. or something and that uh, that you once brought backstage even though the piece of paper you wrote on that you have they can like open up the clipboard and inside right. there's you know carbon paper or something yeah um, they get that impression off of and so i've i've never used pre-show work personally um and uh how often is pre-show done by the magician versus by an assistant uh pretty often i would say because it all depends on the it depends on the you know the scale of what you're doing mm-hmm. if you're doing into the magic castle It'll probably just be you walking out because you also kind of want to pick the person. You want to be able to. You want to know what that person looks like, etc. Right. So I, I don't. I couldn't give you an exact ratio. The cases I know of people that do it regularly, I'm pretty sure it's just them um, walking out and going, "Hey, I'm going to do a show." Right. Uh, you know, pick a card. <laughs> um. Anyway, Shin Lim's performance worth checking out. Right. Um. And congratulations to him. Congratulations to Shin Lim. I would say he's probably. Uh, he's up there in like most popular magicians right now. Oh, absolutely. Um, and also right now, magic's doing pretty well. Yeah, magic's doing great. Um, and I think that is where my you know positivity towards him generally comes from is that he is making magic dramatic and interesting and sexy to people in a way that it has not otherwise been. In a great way for you to follow up on. So like you put on a black and red vest. Oh yeah, as well. Oh, and absolutely. I would say you should probably tease your hair out a little more right. than you have it. A lot of close-up shots of me winking. <laughs> yeah. Because um, there's one thing that this face shouts, it's sex appeal. <laughs> it, but, and it's literally shouting it. Yeah. <laughs> someone someone get up on this. Sex appeal. Um, yeah. So uh, last week we both got... Yeah. Do you want to talk Tom Rass? The 
magic rainbow. Yeah, and funny, I actually also came today prepped to talk about a different Tom Rose thing. Oh. Um, so get, strap in, folks. It's Tom Rose Talk 2019. Well, um, as you know, uh, Juan Tom Rose released a book called The Magic Rainbow recently, uh, the English translation of. Um, and you said it was written how long ago? Uh, I believe in like the 80s. So I think it's... Maybe um, 90s. It's, it is certainly not... Within the last 10 years. Well, it's a collection of... It seems to be kind of a I mean, collection of... It should say in the like, front, right? The When it was originally published? Well, yeah. Spanish edition copyright 2016. Oh. But I think what it is is that he's been writing to his like local friends and... Like he's got like a mailing list, basically. He kind right, of they says, mentioned that there's like this was like a collection of essays. Yeah, or something. so I think it's a little bit of that. So I got think it. So maybe it wasn't a full publication, but it uh, the information has been in print for a long time in Spanish. Maybe just not as a full book. Yeah. Okay. So now Juan Tamariz, uh, Tamariz, yeah, like Ibiza. Some people, I, I don't know. Would you consider the greatest magician alive? I would consider him that. I think yeah. many people would. Um. Uh, and many so people would not. I started reading this. Fuck them. And uh, I have a couple thoughts. First, okay. I would like to say that Juan Tamarith is categorically fucking insane. Yes. <laughs> like, the first several chapters are just like... I would read The Magic Way first. The Magic <laughs> Way is a much more approachable book than this seems to be. Um, the They're often just like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. You're on acid. You're right. having visions. Uh, you are chasing what is it like a, a magic horse or something? Can I may I may I translate that into a nicer way of saying it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> my way, my reading that as complicated as some of those uh, texts are, some of those passages are. I also I'm getting from that like, wow, you have so much, so much love and attachment to this. Yeah, that, you know, it's pretty incredible. He yeah. is insane though, but it comes out in a somewhat crazy way. But he is, you can feel the the insane love he has for yeah, what he's I'll talking just, about. I'll just read a little selection to you from the foreword. At times during these last 40 years, the number of cards in the Spanish deck. Is that true? I don't know. I've <laughs> taken a break and written on papyrus with my sweet diabetic blood what I gradually saw, enjoyed, and felt in the castle. And what my little and maybe, but only maybe, interesting discoveries told me and taught me how to feel and enjoy. Here you have them at this moment in your shapes in the hands of a magical book. What a redundancy. The moon of Isis blinded me and guided me. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it goes on like that for a while. And then uh, I'll just say that the beginning of the book, chapter one, magic, starts with this. Uh, chapter one, magic. Turn the page. Magic in italics. What is magic? In smaller italics. In the beginning, it was magic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, once you get past this. Well, that one I do kind of understand what he was talking about. Because that goes on <laughs> to describe like the first ever sort of magic thing that might have happened that, yes. that like spawns art and creativity and religion and myths and all these yeah. things I so think there's a, fuck um, you <laughs> um it there is um uh, it's i would almost say that this feels a little bit like uh joseph campbell uh i forget what the the whatever joseph joseph yes, several books writings sure. about myth mm-hmm. sort of applied to magic like there he's definitely reaching for like how magic represents itself in like archetypes and like just in in a deeper way than most magic books are and actually i think it will be very interesting to read um i just think it's funny that there's parts of it that are just like batshit insane right (laughs) however uh there was one part there were two parts actually two sections i skipped around that i wanted to bring up with you one is there's a kind of interesting section about comedy and magic um 
I was actually going to talk to you about something he said about comedy. Yes, let's hear. Um, So this is from, I'm going to pull out, I'm going to turn away from the mic for a second to grab a notebook. Uh, And I'll just mention that in the magic rainbow. Ah, shit. What? Did you not? Stuff fell out of my bag. In the magic rainbow. um... My think thin protein bars are spilled all over your floor. (laughs) Uh, it is around page 400, uh, 408, he talks about comedy and magic. So he, Yeah, what did he say? Um, probably very similar things. Have you read that section? I've been reading over it. Yeah. Okay, so I then... He, he loves graphs, I will say. Oh, I that's literally the graph I've drawn on my notes from oh, Bism. So we're about to talk about... Is that from a different... Or is that from a lecture? This is from when I saw him do a four-hour workshop at Fism. It was uh. a special event that was sold out that I didn't even uh, know about, and then shoot, being shoot was able to get me in like we got to visit him and he's like so what are the like the extra things like what do you want to do i'm like well that tom rose workshop i didn't even know it was a thing it's apparently been sold out for weeks and there's a big waiting list he's like okay and so I then mean, he listen, like shoot is very influential he's in a star wars comic book yes oh my god did you see that <laughs> i did there's a well and then someone pulled up a video of the uh basically if you phonetically write out what those jawas say as they like jump up and shoot a gun it basically would you spell it as shootagawa <laughs> So wait, do you think that's a coincidence or you think, I feel like the writer is probably a fan of shoots and put it in. Yes, he was in the early 70s, in the mid 70s before shoot was born. Oh, those are, the but he showed a shoot posted a photo of the cover of the comic book and it looked like a new version of those comic books. This didn't look like the original like seventies comic book. Oh no, I'm not talking about the com uh, the, uh, the the comic books. Yes, he posted that there is a picture of a Jawa from a Star Wars comic book that is saying exclaiming Shudogawa as he does something. Yeah. Somebody, a friend of um ours, a mutual friend named YC, posted then a small video. Let's see if I can find it. Oh, of um, of of a clip from the original Star Wars movie oh. where the Jawa is screaming, and when you phonetically spell it out at the bottom, it basically sounds like Shudogawa. <laughs> so the Jawas, the Jawas, which Jawa, I hear it. There's a lot of Asian influence in Star Wars, but in one word, it, it, the the Jawa in the comic book is saying S H O O T O G A W A. Like yeah, it's, it's spelled, like spelled. It's, it's spelled on exactly. And I think that comic book is actually pretty recent. So I think the writer of that comic book is like, hey, I'm going to put vaguely Japanese words into the mouths of these Jawas. And for fun, I'm going to put this Easter egg, which also happens to sound like exactly what they said in the movies. Right. Um, I'm going to see if I can pull it up. Anyway, so, oh, here we go. Here we go, everyone. So this is from a Star Wars movie. It's a short video. Should go ah. So, it, yeah. Yeah. So actually, that writer could be like, "Yeah, this is a decent translation of what they're saying." Right, it is. Um, so this graph, or these are notes from that four-hour uh, talk that he gave. Yeah, so these are notes from the four-hour talk. He was talking about, you know, it's funny the way he started it was I was super into, but I could kind of feel some people in the room pull back a little bit. Is uh-huh. one of the first things he said at this four-hour talk was he goes, "I'm not going to teach you very many tricks. I'm going to teach you like two tricks. Uh-huh. You can learn tricks." anywhere yeah because what i would want to i want to spend the day talking about is my thoughts on magic as an art and i was totally into that because that's what i love about him yeah and so um you i I could definitely because can't you can learn the tricks from him just by getting his yeah he has so much shit out uh out there for you to learn from so i was super i'm like i was that was great news for me so something about comedy and magic is Mm -hmm. he was in is he was talking about why he does not really enjoy comedy in magic. That's uh-huh. kind of a sentence he said. I don't 
I, I dare say if he could had a chance to qualify it, he would because he is a very silly performer. But he was basically saying that com- the problem with comedy in Magic is that comedy inherently releases tension. Uh-huh. And when you release tension, or, or, or rather, tension builds to a strong climactic resolution in Magic. Yeah. So when you're resolving that tension, then you're also decreasing the level of tension that could build to an exciting climax. So he basically has a graph, and we'll put some, maybe put some pictures of this up on the Instagram so you can kind of see what we're looking at. <laughs> These are the same things as what you have? More or less. I mean, he kind of described them, and he sort of drew them on a whiteboard. So yeah. yours are probably looking more professional. And like I said, I, I really wanted to take incredible notes, as, uh, uh, as good notes as possible watching this, so I, I could really go back and study it. I'm usually a pretty bad note taker, mm. and I'm bad at remembering what I wrote when I try to write up, you know, a small pair. And was he draw- He was drawing these out? Yeah, on a whiteboard, oh, I cool. think, behind him. I, I Honestly, I can't remember. I, I don't... He must have, because there's no way I would have... <laughs> they're, got- they're too similar to what... Yeah, yeah, there's no way I would have, like, gotten this off of his description. So, yeah, he did. Anyway, so it's basically a, a, a graph with the y-axis being... Um, the interest level in the magic, and then the x-axis being time. Is that yeah. basically what you have in that yeah. book? Oh, yes, yes. So the idea is, is that over time, if the trick is strong, interest is building until there's a climax. And that um, interest also equates to tension. So what you want to do is, if you have a joke early on, and there's one graph that sums this up very well. If you have a joke very early on in the routine the interest and the tension is still pretty low. Mm-hmm. It hasn't really built up yet. So while that will decrease, it is easy for you to kind of build that back up to a strong point to where that trick might have otherwise been if the joke was not included. However, then the graph goes on, and there's there's a scenario where a joke comes much later, say right before the climax of the effect, right before the bigger <laughs> reveal. Right. Uh-huh. And then in that case, what happens is that because the tension is so high, the tension will be released and that interest and that tension will fall quite a bit and you'll never be able to get it to where it was at the uh, beforehand. So it'll never be able to get back to where that thing could have been. Yeah. And of course, his whole perspective here is that the absolute most important thing, bar none, is the strength of the magic. I think some people, especially in America, uh, would probably say that just it's important to be entertaining and it's important to be just give the audience an entertaining experience. So if there's a great joke that you can make towards the climax of an effect if it works really well then you should do it someone actually gave me that as an uh, advice there's a routine that i do where i basically find four of a kind that are named by the audience uh-huh. and so the first one is i cut the cards and i kind of kick one out and it sort of spins onto the table a little bit and i get kind of quiet before i do it i shuffle i cut and I go, all right here we go and then i do it and then at one show I did that, and the card spun too far. I was in the close-up gallery and went off the table and fell onto the ground. And the moment it happened, I went, oh, too, too far, too far. And then someone had to reach forward and pick it up. And because it was just a very like, in-the-moment funny thing that clearly wasn't supposed to happen, got a huge, huge laugh. It yeah. was very, very, very entertaining. And it was recommended to me by someone that I do that for every single show. You, you said, oh, it's such a good laugh. It's such a great moment. Um, and he was correct. That is a great moment and would be a good laugh if I could control that and make it seem authentic. However, I kind of like where this theory is going. And to me, there's plenty of comedy in my show that I am very happy with. I think that moment needs to be magic because that particular routine never or, or that phase of cutting to those four cards or finding those four cards did not get as big of a reaction as it usually does, and I think quite in accordance with what this right. theory says. There was such a big laugh and such a big release of tension that we were never able to climb back to that, let me get all four. Right. And so I have decided to 
you know, not recreate that joke and not recreate that moment because I think preserving that as a strong moment of magic is very, very important for the show yeah. because it's a magic show. And also, I uh, will say that it would take um, a lot of craft on your part to be able to, there's a very good chance that you would try to recreate it and it doesn't get the same laugh. Oh, absolutely. And I have found that a lot of times and that is... You take an off-the-cuff thing and you're like, yes. let me do that again. So what I think, and this is something that I first heard about from Pete Holmes and his podcast, and that is something I think a lot, a lot now about. You admit that you're also listening to other podcasts. Um, I'm, what? No, I don't. <laughs> I, uh, I I stopped a few months ago. Um, for uh, I'm I'm faithful to this podcast. I don't listen to any other. But uh, on, on his podcast, he's talked a lot about why we kind of enjoy comedy so much, why we sort of enjoy live theater, and what we can get the most out of that is an understanding that we love being in the moment. That's why if you remember. If you ever go, if anyone out there has been to a Broadway show or something, or a show at the Pantages, or some big professional production where something goes wrong, yeah, it gets an incredible laugh. No one's ever unhappy with that. It absolutely kills. When I saw Hello Dolly on Broadway, you know, fucking eight hundred dollars for those tickets or whatever I spent. By far the most memorable experience I have is when something went wrong. Right. Um, there was like a cart. There was some, something that was supposed to be pulled out to show like a mannequin that David Hyde Pierce was pointing at and he struck the pose as if it was there because he's like where is it and he started talking about it and then Bette Midler just went like it's not here and then uh, and then he was like yeah it's 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 backstage and it got this huge laugh and then they like pulled it on stage they finally it got stuck or something this giant yeah. car they had to wheel out uh, you just saw it recently you know the scene I'm talking yeah, about I actually don't I don't they might not have done it in the tour it's uh, oh interesting but it's like he's you know He's sarcastically talking about the beautiful match that she would set him up with. And it's yeah. like this mannequin that's going to be on a float in a parade or something. And oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes. And so he's – anyway, he's like – he was committing to it. And I'm I'm like, is he pointing to her off stage? And then to these kind of – and then she's like, it's not. It's not here. And that got a huge, huge laugh because it was such an honest – yeah. representation of look at us here in this moment this is really happening yeah and it's very very exciting we're all present in this moment together and then at the end of the at the end of that scene he gets on the cart and he's the cart is pulled off with him on it and there was i guess because it was wheeled out hastily or improperly or something when it pulled off it kind of shook and sort of like shook him and he had to like grab onto something <laughs> and he kind of like rolled his eyes in a sort of Cheek, you know, cheeky way, yeah, and that got a huge laugh. And those are by far my two most distinct memories of seeing that show right. in a very positive way. And so I think um, there have been times, and I think that's why those off-the-cuff jokes don't work. Is that you do them once and they work because they're such an honest moment yeah. of look at look at us all together in this room. You know, the pretense of like look at my prepared shows out the window, and we're just a bunch of people together trying to enjoy this thing, yeah. and it's great. But then when you try to do it again, you're not actually making that moment you're just doing an impression of what that moment was like in well, the last that's show why, that's where i would say it would take a lot of craft if you right. wanted to do that because i do think it's possible and i actually think that like an actor in a scripted play should be creating that feeling of being present all the time mm -hmm. so and and it's hard and it's it's really you know difficult especially to do right. like eight times a week which is why improv is such a great skill to have especially while you're doing magic because that is still something that is very very uh planned out obviously i mean by nature every magic trick you do will be planned out ahead of time There's, yeah you, you can't improv that with an audience right um by its nature you will know what's going to happen before they do so which is why i think it is so incredibly important to make sure that you are really present with your audience and you are really listening to them and talking to them and 
not afraid to interact with them or not afraid to trust yeah. your instincts as far as ad-libbing with them. I think I saw a performer a few weeks ago at the Magic Castle, excuse me, uh, maybe about two months ago. He was good performer, a pretty, you know, pretty big name. I certainly recognized his name when he, when he showed up. He's mm-hmm. fooled Penn and Teller, et cetera. And he was, he was good. Uh, he did this really good show. Mm-hmm. Magic was, was all... This, str- this was Chung Ling Tzu? Yes, it was Chung Ling Tzu. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, I won't say his name because I'm about to criticize him a little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was really fine magic, very, very good. There's some cool ideas, something that fooled me. Um, she clearly thought a lot about it. It was not hastily put together. It was clearly an effort over a couple of years. My problem with it, though, was that it was she's clearly done this exact act so many hundreds and hundreds of times mm-hmm. that it was scripted to a T and within an inch of his life. Mm-hmm. Every movement, every action, every everything. And I was pretty bored by the show as a whole because when I left, it was so clear to me that he was not present with us. Yeah. It's like he was just a movie that was just turned on. Right. The absolute only moment in the show that felt present to me that felt real is when he stumbled over like he at some point he brought up you know he was using a couple spectators and he stumbled over their names going forward and not even as a, as a joke it was just he couldn't remember he called one person the other spectator's name that was really the only moment where it really felt like that a real show where right. he was present with us in the audience and as he was sort of figuring that out yeah and so I yeah I I didn't kind of and I've been thinking about it a lot because it was I think you need some element of that. You need some sort of real proof that you are feeding off of us, the audience, the same way we are feeding off of you, your energy, you know? Yeah, I think as an audience member, uh, if you feel this is happening, one way to help that is just shout out, this is boring. Yeah. And then that gives them a new element to deal right. with. Uh, by the way, on page uh, four, that was a joke, obviously. On page no, four. No, no, do that. Do that. <laughs> on page four of The Magic Rainbow, uh, this just reminded me that uh, Juan Tamarith says uh, he... Uh, a young man woke up, blah, blah. He's talking about all these people he saw. He kind of admits later that he's never seen Doug Co- uh, David Copperfield live. But anyway, here he says um, he watched David Copperfield. He read Tarbell, Stars of Magic, got together with Juan Anton, Jose Pucho, Ramon Varela, uh, admired Chung Ling Su's posters, he wrote here. Okay. Um, if you ever walk through the Magic Castle, the Chung Ling Su posters are problematic, I would say. There's there's a whole wall of like devoted to Chung Ling Su. Yeah. Uh, it was a white man pretending to be Asian. Yeah. Um, anyway. Oh, what was his name? I can't. I, I, um, the original or the, yeah, the guy's the, name? The guy's name. Oh, I I still have the Jim Steinmeier book. I haven't read it. Yet. Right. I've I have read parts of it, and I but I'm just flip, forgetting his name. So somebody out there is going. It's this. It's this. Time. It's probably so. Jim Steinmeier who probably listens to this podcast. Right. Um. So I have a couple questions about these comedy magic graphs uh, mm-hmm. because one, you know, so there's nothing funnier. It's graphs. Well. I'm sh- obviously he has thought a lot more about magic than I have. I have doubt actually that he's thought a lot more about comedy than I have. Oh, probably. Um, so there's an interesting thing in these graphs where the y-axis is interest. I'm not totally and and again this is just from skimming skimming the book. So I want to read more about it, but I'm not totally convinced that interest and tension are the same thing. Um, sure. You know, I, I, I for some reason I'm remembering. I mean, all of my notes say interest. I'm remembering him talking about tension. I hope that's not just me accidentally editorializing this myself. No, I think you're right. I, I also mean, wonder if here he the says, translation. Um. Yeah. You know but, what I mean? Just like the 
there's I've noticed there's so many things and words in Spanish that don't totally translate literally, and I yeah. wonder if there's another one that would he would kind of put in place here. Yeah, and interest is just sort of the closest thing. Yeah, um, in fact, throughout the the book, um, instead of saying coin, he says paella hmm. over and over, which is okay. That's seems confused. Like, yeah, seems like they would have a word for coin lost in translation. I guess um, they don't. No, I think actually, fun fact: the Spanish have actually never had coins. They they've yeah. actually their currency is paella. <laughs> yeah, their currency. Um, um, back in the 16th century, they used Bitcoin. Yeah, and then they converted to analog. <laughs> right. Um, actually, I no, I think you probably got it right because uh, I will say it's like he talks about the danger of putting uh, laughter in your show, a joke or a gag at the same time as a magical climate. This is very dangerous, deadly. I would say laughter kills magic. Um, Which you know that's pretty definitive. That is. I don't necessarily think that's an unfair statement, though. Well, I guess the I, a couple of just initial like intuitive red flags I have about this that that I'm interested to like read more about. Okay, is the conflation of tension and interest. Also, the I, again, I I I'm going to say that what I've read, not from what you told me. Oh, tension. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was going to say, um, if the, I was poorly interpreting that, that shouldn't be the st- standard by which we judge what he says. If, yeah. if I'm wrong. Um, which I am often. The second uh, reservation I have about his entire chapter about this is I'm a little suspicious that he might have somewhere baked into the premise of this entire chapter. He's maybe built his theories on comedy magic that he doesn't like. And then we'll sort of back end fold in exceptions for people that he does like. Right. And then say like, well, these are the people doing it correctly. Which I am wary of because we've talked about another prominent magician that has talked about like the type of magic he hates. And then I'm like, but then he in the next sentence praises this guy who does that exact same right. thing a little bit better. Well, and the thing I name. think about is like, um, you know. all of the Spanish magicians that I've seen. I've seen Juan Tamariz on video. Mm-hmm. I've seen Danny Diorti's on video. We saw Miguel Angel. Miguel, Miguel Angel Heya. Um, even, uh, was it Miguel Munoz? Right. Um, they have a lot of comedy in their shows. Mm-hmm. People, um, like, there's a lot of jokes in his show. So it, I just think it's interesting that, like, I would say sort of as a whole that the Spanish magic that I've seen has been very light um, and not super in the... In like this, you know, very serious domain that I've seen so far. So I think. What do you mean the very serious? Like, what are you talking about? I just mean like I would think I I feel like if I go see a Korean competition magician, that as soon as I walk in, the score of Inception is going to start playing, uh, and then like he's not going to speak the entire time, and something very kind of melodramatic is about to happen. Mm-hmm. If I see a Spanish guy, he's going to come out and just be like, hey, everybody, like, have a lot of chatter going on. I think that is true. I will challenge part of that. Yeah. Um, I think that when you talk to certain... I think the closer you get to disciples of Tomares, like Danny D'Artiz, like yeah. Woody Aragon, these people are very silly, and they are... And I think that is a very cultural... I think that's a cultural thing. That's kind of who they are. Very casual, very light, very goofy... However, I think a lot of them are incredibly smart magicians. Yeah. You know, like the closer you get to, to people who studied under him, like Danny and Woody, and um, the thing when you watch them, their magic hits really, 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 really hard. It's absolutely incredible. And so I think that they are still weaving in jokes and comedy and laughter in a way that is not overtly harming the bottom line of their magic. Yes. Which I think is... Maybe what he's saying here that you're that is not getting across super clearly is I think perhaps the idea is not 
the idea is understand when to temper your jokes with the magic such that the magic is still <coughs> as strong as it could be because laughter can hurt it. I think my question for it is, is it the timing or is it the execution? Because I bet I can find a Danny Ortiz routine where he puts a joke right at the climax and I bet it hits great. You know, I bet right. somewhere in there. Like, I guess what I would uh, worry about is that this is going to teach a bunch of uh, magicians to be like, you do like three jokes at the top. And then as your trick progresses, you get more and more silent. Right. <laughs> and then you're just, you know, then you just kind of stare at the productions and like, you know, like it gets just more and more um, serious as a way to like heighten the magic. I'm very curious about it. By the way, I also want to point out, um, uh, <laughs> I, think that, I thought this sentence was funny. Other artistic da- dangers reside in the very deceptive nature of laughter. Consider an easy joke or gag, or one that targets an unfortunate spectator, or the use of foul language without reason. <laughs> so that's, I, wanna, I would love for you to try one of your shows, like your blindfold trick, right before the last one, just yell out, fuck! <laughs> and, then, and then just reveal the last card. Yeah. See if it, first of all, I'm sure you'll get a huge laugh. Right. <laughs> just the idea that like you could just foul language without reason just at any point would just get you a huge laugh. I think. I mean, there's maybe some truth to that. Yeah. I I, I think it's all very interesting. Um, uh, Something that is interesting to me, and this is, I think, where you can. I don't know if I'm sure it's in that book somewhere. If you haven't already gotten to it, I'm trying to. I'm like I said, I have about eight pages worth of notes here. I'm trying to find where I wrote it down so I can quote him properly. But he was talking about acting in magic. And he was there's this famous Robert Houdin quote. I don't know if you've actually ever heard it. I'm, yeah, uh, that um, a magician is actually an actor who needs uh, a job yes. and changed uh, directions because they weren't getting gigs. You know what's funny is the way you <laughs> leaned into the mic and the tone of that sentence was, oh, okay, I'm curious what this bit is going to be. Uh, <laughs> but then he started to say the real quote. And I was like, oh, that's it. Oh, no, that <laughs> That's comedic misdirection. Right. I, I never put laughs at the end of my jokes. <laughs> it, hurt, it hurts the jokes. <laughs> um, I can't seem to find it. But the idea was that... He, yes, oh, the, sorry. The quote is, the quote uh, is a magician is an uh, actor, actor pretending to be a magician. Right. He was actually kind of calling that out. Um, and he was saying that is not necessary. Oh, I found it. He disagrees with that because he thinks he is being... He, he was, he, uh, he said, you're being yourself when you're performing. So you're not really acting. Um, and he noticed that when he took out truth in his... Uh, Harrison Greenbaum, who um, is a comedian that we both know, and a uh, very successful stand-up comedian and a very successful magician. And uh, I hope to get him on soon because he represents a really very clear and obvious intersection between these two things because yeah. he's basically doing stand-up for uh, most of his, his magic. So I'd, I'd love to hear his thoughts on these. Um he has uh, sort of th- this theory that magic, sh- uh, sorry, magic comedy should have as much truth in it as possible. You know, so anytime he talks about, he has this pretty well-known routine. Did it on Conan. You can look up about a guy who got hit by lightning seven times, and all of his facts in that story, every bit of trivia is true. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is an idea that's important to him: is making sure that your comedy is actually true and isn't just made up. He has this long thing about the Constitution that he really dug into and got uh, about the people who wrote the Constitution, and it's all factually correct which is very important to him because uh, he has a sort of like three step things like is it true is it and then there's two others i don't know what it is it's <laughs> <laughs> well, good that you've absorbed this lesson um there's another well he's fine here's another one that's like that the, th- the three c's of comedy are contrast oh fucking uh compression contrast clarity i think that they are is that a, a joke has to be 
I think those are how you rate the quality of a diamond. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fuck, was I listening to a diamond podcast again? You're, oh, you were listening to that Zales podcast? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I like the De Beers I will say a counterexample is to look up Gary Goldman's uh, routine about the uh, state's abbreviation. Oh, that is uh, incredible. Which is routine. complete bullshit, but so funny. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, and I think that's a very, I also think it's very clear that that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think, um, anyway, so uh, Juan Tomers was saying that all of the jokes he had about his life, when that reality was different he those jokes didn't get last anymore and he and he thinks mm. that that's because audiences could tell that it was no longer true the two examples he gave was that as he got old he, he had these jokes about um uh getting older and getting um and uh being blind and not being able to see things very well and he had these jokes about it and i get they got huge laughs and then when he got like cataracts and he got surgery for it, corrective surgery. Oh, and his vision improved? His vision improved, and he noticed that those jokes about not being able to see well were not playing. Hmm. And he goes, the audience could tell that that was not true about me anymore. And so he said, um, he had another joke about his mom being in the audience all the time. So, like, you know, which is a fairly classic joke. And uh, did his mom pass away? Yeah, because he was, when <laughs> his mom Lord. died, those jokes stopped getting laughs. And he goes, Well, because- that's because the audience was like, uh, <laughs> I have a newspaper. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, Why is he crying as he does this <laughs> joke? And so yeah, that's interesting. I would say well, that- well I think one thing uh, I said that to Simon Cornell. I said here's an interesting thing about what he says about truth and and acting and why he thinks that magicians are not not actors but they are real people, you mm-hmm. know, creating moments. And Simon went, sounds like he's not a very good actor. Well, I was gonna say the exact same thing, right? Which is that like the audience probably could tell that he could see well, but. It's still just kind of a, a bit that you need to act. And he has said publicly, I think, in one of his books, or maybe also in this um, in this lecture, that he is a bad actor. He goes, he was, a- <laughs> he goes, I was asked to do some acting once, and because he's a very charismatic guy. And oh, so, I see. And people yeah. sometimes quit, like, oh, you should do acting. And so he did it like a couple times on like TV or something, and he yeah. said he was terrible. And he goes, no, I hated it. I was really bad at it. Um, I think it's it, part of it. Uh, whenever I hear stuff like that, because it's also in Ken Weber's Maximum Entertainment about like. Being bringing yourself to the role, right? I always like try to um, reconcile that with how much I love Rob Zabricki. Sure, <laughs> um, because he's—I've heard him in interviews, and he's very like warm and friendly. Oh, he's an incredibly friendly, <laughs> man. which has nothing to do with his stage character. I'm sure his stage character has comes from something inside of him. Sure, but well, in the terms that bringing himself to the role, in terms that you or I could not do that character. Yeah, if we, I, I think that maybe. I mean, I can do it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, challenge accepted. <laughs> uh, I mean, I could steal his act like the way the Chung Ling Su stole his. Act. I would like you to reverse Chung Ling Su. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to film all the it. white men's acts that I could yep. steal. Um, I wanted to, we're actually over an hour. I wanted to oh, uh, really? highlight a part of the back of the book, Magic Rainbow. Are you just going to read the bibliography? Uh, I'm just going to read the, the part that tells you what what kind of font was used in the book. Okay. <laughs> actually, which I actually loved in books. Uh, Comic no, Sans. He has a um, list of some classic tricks of card magic. So this is basically his list of like the the canon. Oh, cool. These are, and I want to know how many of these you know how to do. Okay. Um, so, or and how many of these do you have like a version of? Okay. Okay. The first one is all backs. Uh, I've, I don't do one. I've learned, I learned one back in the day. Okay. I think it's on, that is on a, Maybe a Michael Amart DVD or something. So I I don't do one now, but uh, yeah, but you could do one if you. you, in, you I, I don't know that I could. I would have to sit down and think about it because uh, the way those routines tend to work is they're very 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 they'd be very very quick and rapid. Uh-huh. So the sort of the planning that that I couldn't just pick up a 
deck yeah, and do that like I could with like an ambitious card routine where I'm kind of inventing. Number two, ambitious card. Uh, yes, that. Number three, back in time, torn and restored card is what he wrote. Um, I mean, I know torn and restored cards, I, but there are so many I, I could not say. I imagine it's something like we tore it up and now like what if we could go back in time and then the cards healed again. If he's talking about some sort of baseline where those variations all come from and that's like the classic version of it, that I do not know. Uh, cannibal cards? Yeah, cannibal cards, I know. Uh, by the way... That, so- that is, um, I'm not surprised that's in there because that cannibal card uses very prominently an Escanio spread, and that is the trick most people learn as they learn the Escanio spread, uh-huh. and he and Escanio are great, great friends, and together they created the School of Magic in Madrid. Oh. Um, card on ceiling? Yeah. Card stab? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think I do know, um, like the... This is like Card you stab. throw a deck and then you stab the spectator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, you find someone that slept with your wife. You bring them front <laughs> side of the show, and that's your big Shakespearean revenge. I'll just point out where he wrote. He's uh, ri- that I believe, though, Card Stab, as it's written, I, I believe the one he's talking about is not you throw it in the air and you catch one. I think the idea is that you blindfold yourself, you spread the cards out on the table, and you stab like really? three in a row that are on the table. Oh, I've um, never seen that. Yeah, I've seen it a couple times. It's in Stars of Magic. Um, I don't know if that's the one he's talking about. By the way, he's written like associated phenomena and myths and symbols that go with all these. Uh, With card stab, it's deflowering of the phallus hymen. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck did you just say? Deflowering phallus dash hymen. Okay. Come on, one. Number seven, card to number. I'm. I wonder if this is any card at any number because any card at any number is not in this list. Um, I feel like I. And any that. card at any number is like a huge chunk out of his Mnemonica book. So I imagine that that is that probably card what to it number means. might be that card yeah. to pocket, classic card to wallet, classic cards through table. Okay, I don't know if I've seen that. I've seen coins through table. I've seen cards through table. Clock trick. Oh yeah, good old clock trick. Do Let me know? show it to you now. <laughs> there we go. Do you know really? And uh, it is six fifteen. That's right. Magic over. Color change of the back. Okay. Color change, cutting the aces. Probably just color changing deck. I'm assuming that's what that means. Cutting the aces. I can do cutting the aces. Uh, diminishing cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, do as I do. Uh, yeah. Elasticity or stretching the lady. Don't know what the or fuck that gross, is. micro macro. Uh, I would love this list like um, indexed against Dennis Bear's Conjuring Archive so that you could just be like, oh, elasticity, like, Go get this book and right. it'd be interesting. Uh, everywhere and nowhere. Um, that I is I think I if I'm not mistaken is similar to all backs. Oh. I think it's like a card. Danny Ortiz has a version on Utopia, which is the most recent place I've seen it. It's the idea that you keep kind of cut. You someone signs a card and you keep cutting and showing a bunch of different cards and it's all their signed card and then eventually it's no it's none in none of those places like in the box or something. Hmm. I think that's what that is. I, I do not stand by that. I am not going to die on that hill. I'm going to run through these a little faster because there's a lot. Follow the leader. Yeah. Four aces assembly. Classic. General card. Ooh, do not know what that is. Invisible deck. Just assume you know. Uh, I've heard of it. <laughs> Matching the cards. Some of these are so generic. That yeah. It's like, uh, card trick? Nudist deck? Ooh. Have you, you heard of this? Piqued my interest. <laughs> Oil and water. Mm-hmm. Out of this world. Yep. Paranormal paranormal powers. It's a difficult word to say. Maybe that's like some version of the haunted deck where the cards move. Yeah. And... Rising cards? Yeah. Royal assembly or the hotel trick? Uh, Royal assembly says the 16 picture cards. That's uh, yeah. That's like I don't you know. I don't know to be honest with you. I uh, could... Sandwich effects. Okay. Six card repeat. 
Yeah. Uh, stories with cards as they turn up, like hey, improv, improv the, the bellhop. Bell <laughs> you know what? Common phenomena with this mythology and the muses. That's what I was tapping into today. Three card Monty, and here also torn and restored card. Uh, Triumph. You know. Oh yes, I do. Uh, yeah. Twisting the aces. Classic. Is Triumph just like uh, cards mixed up and then they're not? Yeah, face up, face down. That's what I call it. Cards are mixed up and then they're not. Okay, and then I believe that's a. I believe the story behind that is that Vernon showed it to his son, uh-huh. and his son loved the trick so much and said that'll be your triumph. Um, the son said that. Yeah, the son was like, "This is a great trick for me to poop on <laughs> as triumph." Would say. And the last one was called Wild Card. Yeah, Wild Card is a, is the thing. Well, you know a lot of these. I don't know a lot of them. They're classic. Yeah. yeah. Um, John, do you have any shows coming up? Um, any more? Magic Bar for the next three weeks. Uh, Ragtime got extended at the Velocity hey. Playhouse. So on the on March 5th with Nick Paul, I will be doing Magic Bar. Oh, very good. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, let me pull up uh, the information. We have now an Instagram and a Facebook yes. page. Uh, the Instagram is at Setup Podcast. There are two P's in there, so make sure you put them both in. At Setup Podcast, give us a follow. Uh, we also have a Facebook page, which let me pull up now is, I believe, uh, um, that's just called the Setup Discussions, um, uh, colon Discussions in Magic and Comedy. Yeah, so please follow us. Please follow us uh, there. We'll start posting. Um, as we get some followers over there, we're going to start moving things, I think, off of uh, my Instagram onto these things. Yeah, this sounds good. Um, and uh, yeah, so please send us a video on either of those on Instagram or Facebook, or also email us at um, fuck. <laughs> I don't remember. We do have an e- we do have a domain. We we had to sit down. The setup is such a generic thing yes. that um, it was difficult to find a Gmail name that was uh, right. Uh, however, we'll post it. And uh, by the way, this Friday, setuppod at gmail dot com. Setuppod, we got setuppod at gmail dot com. So email us the, uh, those videos, and I think that'd be fun if we if we get enough submissions. If we get more than five, we'll yeah. pick the best one and give you a prize of some and kind. And we'll turn it into a real trick. We'll turn it into a real <laughs> trick. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next time. See you soon. Spanish music. The setup.